Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Veolia, Resourcing the World, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Terrell Fund, supporting reimagined childcare, PNC, Grow Up Great, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, moving the region through air, land, rail, and sea. The Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference. Prudential Financial. And by NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ. And by NJ.com, keeping communities informed and connected. Welcome to a very special edition of Think Tank right here on News 12 Plus. It is my honor to introduce Michelle Adubato, Chief Executive Officer of the North Ward Center, founded in 1970 by Steve Adubato Sr. We know him very well. We knew him very well. He passed away a couple of years ago, uh, our dad. And also, Michelle is the founder of the Center for Autism. Good to see you, my sister. Nice to see you. Oh, what, what are you, delaying that? What's up with that? Hey, we're on live. This is real. Hey, Michelle, real quick, tell everyone more than what the Northward Center is and why it's so important, particularly at this time in the spring, going into the summer of 2022. Well, you listen, we need, we need some services. Like, kids need to be outside. Kids need to have organized sports, and that's one huge part of the Northward Center, our youth leadership development program. Uh, playing sports throughout the year, but right now it's baseball season. We've got Casa Israel Adult Medical Day program, very very important program for our Caesar. For we're our putting seniors. up the website, Michelle. Sorry, we're putting up the website. Go ahead, keep going. Our seniors are. What about childcare? We have the largest preschool um, contracted preschool in Newark. Uh, we, get, we have Family Success Center, which is a very important service of emergency services and referral services throughout the city of Newark. And we also have the Center for Autism, which is an adult program. Which you founded. You founded yes, that. Your work around autism has been and uh, by your the life's way, work. We have Hope House, which is running wonderful, beautiful. Tell Hope House is. So Hope House is the first uh, integrated um, home, permanent home. I don't use the word group home because it's, it has some negative connotation and it's not a group home. It's a permanent, beautiful home for, for, for uh, people with autism. And it was the first one in Newark. It's, we're going on our second year. It's just a wonderful thing. They're enjoying, that is their house. Before we uh, introduce this Think Tank program to everyone here on News 12 Plus, final question, all seriousness. Um, what has it been like having me as an older brother and mentor? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Wow. Listen, uh, Mom, let me tell you something. I'm going to say something that I bet you quick. everyone who works for you can, can agree. It all depends upon the mood. You could be the greatest guy and then watch out if you answer a certain way. Correct? I know everybody's going like this. 
We've uh, run out of time. Uh, that's Michelle Adubato. She is the CEO of the North Ward Center, founded in 1970 by Steve Adubato Sr., run today, led by Michelle Adubato, and also the founder of the Center for Autism. And she's fortunate, blessed to have a mentor, an older brother like me. She just doesn't want to admit it in public. This is Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to a very important and compelling program that looks at uh, navigating the COVID landscape. We have an expert uh, panel. And yes, we're talking about navigating the COVID landscape in urban communities, particularly Newark. Our, our guests are all connected to the city of Newark, but it has implications beyond that. And also the role of not-for-profit organizations, government, et cetera. We're honored to be joined uh, once again by Dr. Chris Purnell, Chief Strategic and Integration and Health Equity Officer at University Hospital. Michelle Arbato, Chief Executive Officer at the Northward Center, uh, an organization our father founded. Michelle, in 1970, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Yes, I wasn't born then. Um, that was a joke. It's okay. Uh, and founder, she, Michelle is also the founder of the Center for Autism. And let me disclose, she is my younger sister. And Roger Leon, who is the superintendent of the great Newark Public Schools, good to have you, all of us, all of you with us. Uh, Dr. Chris, let me jump right into this. You did a one on one interview with us for our State of Affairs program. What do you believe it means when we say, quote, navigating the COVID landscape, particularly in cities like North? What does that mean? Steve, it means preparedness. Look, I have this conversation with our national partners in public health, our state partners, and our partners right here in the beautiful, brilliant city of Newark. We need to help the public understand what preparedness looks like and what's in their toolkit. It's access to longitudinal care. It's where can they get care, care that is socially and culturally fluent um, so that they have appropriate management and identification of disease that would make an infection like COVID more severe or worse. It's ac access to rapid testing. It's, it's access to know when do I get tested and what type of test should I get? Can I do a rapid test at home or should I go to a healthcare provider and get tested? It's access to vaccines and noun oral antivirals so that as soon as a disease is identified or an infection is identified, someone can get into appropriate care. It's helping people understand the steps that they should take in order to to ensure that they are healthy themselves and that their entire household is healthy. That's what I mean by navigating. And that oftentimes is not just strictly clinical. That is a mix of both clinical and social services. And also uh, the superintendent is working with his team to navigate the COVID landscape in the schools. Michelle, you and your colleagues in the not-for-profit community, we're a not-for-profit organization as well, the Caucus Educational Corporation. Michelle, what does it mean for you and the team. And describe the Northward Center for those who may not know, please. Well, the Northward Center has a myriad of services that are based in one-to-one -one contact, in person, it doesn't work on a Zoom. Uh, and so we have wonderful preschools uh, that are contracted out by North Public Schools. We have youth leadership development programs, Casa Israel Adult Medical Day, family success programs, uh, the Center for Autism that I brought in, and many other um, services that are based in grassroots. And, you know, what Dr. Chris said was interesting, uh, but, you know, the problem that we're having is it's like people want to think COVID's over. We're they taping going into May 2022. <laughs> Michelle had, yeah, Michelle, let me disclose a couple of things before you jump back in. Michelle had COVID, a very serious case of COVID early on in the pandemic. Dr. Chris has talked very 
publicly about the personal loss that she has had with her dad in April of 2020 and other family members. Michelle, uh, pick up your point. There's mixed messages out there right now. Um, you know, it's interesting when lockdown, when, it, when lockdown was going on, you knew what you had to do. You were locking down and it was get your vaccination. Um, uh, then it was get your vaccination. And for a second, you thought this was going to be over. And I'm going to say for a second. And then you realized this isn't over. There's waves of going on. So that's for us, that's about navigating. How do we navigate those in-person services, which I know North Public Schools is doing that. And they're doing it, by the way, a tremendous job. I think they were very, very responsible in not in saying to our children and our staff, keep your masks on um, when others have said, take them off. And, and really, is this about what we call personal liberties or the health and welfare of your neighbor and yourself? And that's what we're battling right now. Complicated. Roger, please, navigating the COVID landscape in the Newark Public Schools, 50,000 plus students we're talking about, correct? Yes, absolutely, 55,000 plus. But the realities of where we are uh, uh, today is quite unique. We've never been here before. Uh, the fact that we've experienced this global pandemic and that it has impacted everyone equally has been uh, quite an interesting reality. And when I say equally, I actually mean that, um, you know, whenever anyone has been in a personal crisis, you turn to someone else. And so this virus has impacted everyone equally in that the people that you go to may be also consumed with the realities that exist because of this uh, virus. I, I find that it is an incredible opportunity for us to exercise things that are extremely uh, important. When uh, you are um, witnessing ever-changing guidelines, our strategy in Newark has been to stay the course, to say we are not going to allow the realities of every moment to also shift every single one of our responses. And that the only time that we deviated from anything that we uh, said we were doing was when all, all of the science suggested that it was the right point and time to do this. Imagine, if you will, you know, people who were getting the vaccine were only of a certain age. Um, the fact that we have five-year-olds doing it today, contemplating even younger than five-year-olds is a reality that we, uh, we're not witnessing at the moment in time when we were targeting our most uh, elderly. So the over-communication becomes also extremely important so that everyone understands what we're doing, why we're doing, and when we are actually doing it. Well said, Superintendent. Uh, yeah. yeah, Michelle, I see Michelle and Dr. Chris as well, but Dr. Uh, Michelle, I'll come to you in a second. Dr. Purnell, real quick, say whatever you want to say, but, but the superintendent is talking about our kids. How, what's, how about kids navigating the COVID landscape. What? Navigate? I'm trying, I just want to play with my friends. I want to go to school. I want to be able to have fun. Like, what is this? 
How are they doing, Dr. Chris? You know, COVID has fundamentally, um, I would say, impacted social emotional learning, especially for our young people, because we're asking them to learn in ways that they were not necessarily used to. Um, I have beautiful nieces. I have five nieces in total from the age of 10 to 16. And I remember one of them who had never stepped foot in a high school building, but had been in high school for almost two years. And so in her, in her first time being inside of a high school, she's like, I'm going to have friends outside of my household. And I thought about that and how different that was from when I entered high school or for my youngest niece, who's in our primary school um, years and learning difficult concepts and having uh, special needs and things of that nature, having to navigate that. This has not been easy for our children, whether we're talking about the emotional or even the psychological stress that they've had to encounter because of the isolation, because of doing things that are unusual and because, you know, they too could get exposed and infected and have to fight a disease that we didn't have a lot of tools for in their age group. But at the same time, Michelle, at the Northwood Center, um, and we, I, I know this well only because of the work you're doing, our dad did before, and, and you mentioned the youth leadership before. As we do this program, we're about to go into the spring and summer season, and I know that kids being outside playing at Roberto Clemente Field in, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, part of the Northwood Center summer youth leadership program, they're playing baseball. Our son, Nick, happens to be one of the coaches in that, in that league, and I, seeing those kids, it's extraordinary. It's the greatest thing in the world, particularly for urban kids. How are they navigating this, Michelle? And how much do they need those kinds of programs, please? I think we have to take the burden off our kids. You know, whatever I worry about, like my granddaughter said to me, uh, no, not COVID's done. It's done. Why are you wearing, because I still wear masks uh, when I go into a supermarket. I, I feel like I'm the only one wearing a mask. And you know what? I kind of say to her, along with everyone else, it's much better than it was, but sweetie, it's not over. Um, and we still need to take precautions. But I measure myself uh, because I just think our kids have gone through way too much. And it's the adults now that have to be the responsible parties um, to make sure that their social emotional needs are met and to weigh risk versus reward, that mitigation process. So our youth leadership development, that wasn't an easy decision. You know, I know for everyone else, and I think it was with, uh, what Roger said is, you know, do you stay the course? You know, it, it, I, ha I have to tell you that it is not clear anymore. And I can't tell you why. I can read well, wait, Hold on, Michelle, what's not clear? I'll tell you, you mean the you rules? Something, the rules make no sense. It, you know, one day it says, I've had five people read the same thing and interpret it differently. And that can't, how do you, how do you navigate that? So it's about being, what, what really what Roger said is like, okay, we're going to be reasonable. This is what we're going to do. Like at the Northward Center, I mandated vaccines. That made a huge difference, but people still got sick. People, oh, let me, let me clarify. People still got COVID in January. But, they, but Dr. Chris, they were not as, Michelle, I'll come back they to you. Were they were not, not as, as sick, sick, correct? Absolutely. Clinically and non-clinically. 
Correct. Yes, because in January, let's remember what we were facing. It actually had started late November and December. We were facing the Omicron variant. And this That's is right. why I said preparedness, okay? Preparedness means this. You have a toolkit. You have multiple tools. You have multiple mitigation strategies in that toolkit. And you are vigilantly following the science and the data. And that informs you which tool to pull out of your toolkit. So when we got that variant back around that time that Michelle was describing, it was a variant that did not um, have the same properties as the original strain. So it invaded some of the protection of our vaccines. So then we knew that you not only needed to be vaccinated and complete the primary series, but you also had to be boosted. But, That's what we got to do a better job. Dr. Chris, I'm going to let Michelle pick up her point, because here's the thing. You made that sound clear and logical. Michelle is saying, and she's not alone, Michelle, as we do this program, you're making a tough decision about a oh. memorial service we have, a tribute to our father. How who many passed people? Away in October. Go ahead. And we don't know what inside, outside, do we have it? One, and you have to make that call, Michelle. You How have to make that call. have been in the same situation where my father passed away during COVID. That's it. And I, we have yet to respect his and honor his passing. Um, as we do this program. And you have to decide how and when and if. And for a second, when I made the decision, and I was very, you know, adamant, you know what? This was two months ago. We're going to do this, you know, and this, you know what happened? January, boom, it went down. And I, okay, take a breath. Okay, you know what? No one's going to stop us now. We're going to go inside. It's going to be okay. We're going to, and now it's creeped up and it's another variant. And, you know, these are the really what I would just say impossible. There's no right answer, you know, and so you just have to make a decision based on not what you're not what everyone else is making a decision on. And that's the problem. There's no clear set guideline. And so you can't call Roger, Michelle, you can't call Roger and say, Roger, what are you doing? Because we're going to do the same thing. Because that's a different circumstance, right? And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of what we have been living, knowing however dark it has been. Roger, are you is, sure you want to go with beauty? Uh, beauty? Beauty? It is, it, is, it is very complicated. What, go ahead. What the discourse that we just heard between both uh, Michelle and Chris is how complicated this is. And what I'm suggesting is that um, what is going to happen after this is something that needs to be very well uh, studied, because our problem is not only addressing learning loss and the- And there's a real learning loss. I'm sorry for interrupting, Superintendent. There's a real learning loss for our kids in our schools, correct? A absolutely, absolutely. Go ahead, pick, it up, pick so, up your point. So there's learning loss. There's also what I am calling unfinished learning because students did pick up uh, from March 13th, not until a whole good year and a half later. They didn't finish that which what they were learning. Then Dr. Purnell is talking about all of the social emotional learning needs that we also have of our students. But that's what we're currently dealing with. The concern that exists is what happens later. Uh, I just want to put on the table that sure. there's a lot of unteaching that has to occur. One of our biggest realities is that we have three and four-year-olds in our pre-kindergarten programs all throughout the city of Newark, and there are incredible programs where we have to begin to unteach the importance of sharing. You see, that we've taught students, oh, you hide behind this mask. Oh, you don't 
share cookies. Oh, you don't hold each other's hands down a hallway. That has created an inherent um, problem for us as a community. We have to uh, have to be very empathetic to each other's needs. And we're not able to do that right now because we're overly protecting selves. There's going to come a point in time where this virus is way, way so behind us. And our young children are going to be in a very vulnerable situation in that uh, they have learned behaviors that um, uh, have to be untaught. And that's the beauty of what I'm referencing at right now, that we should be able to see clearly that there are um, identified problems that are going to yeah. exist way before, way after COVID is gone. Got about a minute can, and I, can I weigh Michelle. in on two quick points, Steve? Two quick points I just want to weigh in. So um, Michelle previously said, you know, there is no right answer. What I want people to understand is there is no risk-free scenario. That's there are scenarios answer. where there are higher risks or lower risk, right? But there's always risk. Right, but there's always risk, but we want to minimize the risk. So that's how I want people to think about it. And then the only other second point that I wanted to make is that there are behaviors that we will um, adapt maybe not totally unlearn, but adapt because living in a crisis does demand a, a, a different posture, a different emotional posture, a different physical posture, um, a different intellectual posture. But I think it also will breed a sense of resilience that otherwise may not have been there. So we have to find both the strengths and the opportunities yes. for improvement. Michelle, final comments, go ahead. I hope you're right, Dr. Chris. I hope we, I hope we learned some good things about this. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, one thing I do think that we can learn from when people are in constant uncertainty and crisis is be in the moment. When you're having that good moment, that moment that you're sharing, whether it's in a classroom, uh, whether it's in an office in your family, enjoy it. Enjoy it. If, that, if I've learned anything from being sick and dealing with this is an enjoy what's in front of you right now. Well said, Michelle. Um, Michelle Arabato, Dr. Chris Purnell, Superintendent Regilion, I want to thank all of you. And, and to, to be clear, we have a partnership with each one of your organizations in very different ways. And you make a difference in the community in very powerful ways. And I cannot thank you all enough. We talk about navigating. Some people call it surviving, but it's also navigating and hopefully thriving at some point. I'll get off my soapbox, but we can't just simply navigate and survive. We have to thrive easier said than done. And hopefully this conversation has been helpful. I want to thank our very distinguished panel. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. I'm Steve Adubato. That's a very smart panel. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Most people don't think about where their water comes from. But we do. Veolia. More than water. Resourcing the world. We are honored once again to be joined by Dr. Joseph Nyer, president of Seton Hall University. Um, the university is one of our higher ed partners. Good to see you, Dr. Nyer. Steve, great to be with you. Happy Easter. Uh, absolutely. We're taping this after Easter going into May 2022. Let me ask you this. I, I want to jump right into the number one challenge you feel Again, there are so many. You and I have had so many conversations about leadership connected to COVID, being the president of a university, et cetera, et cetera. 
number one challenge slash opportunity facing the higher ed community, particularly the folks at Seton Hall right now? Well, I think the period of change has been greatly accelerated in higher ed, and I think that's a challenge and a wonderful opportunity. We in higher ed have been criticized over the decades of being slow to change, and the pandemic accelerated changes that were already underway and has really opened the door to new ways of thinking and to how nimble higher education can be. So I see that as both a challenge, but a wonderful opportunity. The other issue that gets talked about a lot is affordability. And we've had abstract, not abstract, but theoretical, philosophical, and practical discussions about affordability. But I want to be really clear here. Uh, you and your wife, uh, Kelly, um, has made, have made a personal gift of $500,000 to the university. Uh, being a first-generation college student matters a lot to you, to your wife, Kelly, who I believe is a former um, elementary school, uh, public school teacher, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Those dollars go to students to give more opportunity. Is that not correct, Dr. Nair? Yeah, we made our gift, thank you, Steve, uh, focused in two areas. One is to support scholarships for students. We know how much a, a small amount of money for each student can change their capacity to attend a, a school, college, or university. And we know what it's like to struggle firsthand to afford going to college. That was certainly my experience as a first-generation college student. And then the other part of our gift uh, is going to support faculty research and instruction, which we think is central uh, to the quality and health and well-being of the university. You know, the other thing that's interesting is that I was, interesting is that I was reading about this, Dr. Nair, and you were at the University of Kansas, correct? Correct. Uh, was Kelly as well? Right. So I went to the University of Wisconsin, Missouri, Kansas, and then school out in Boston. I met Kansas. Uh, I met Kelly at the University of Kansas. That's correct. And... Um, you recalled, quote, this is a, a press release that was put out uh, by the university. You recalled working with Dr. Michael Roberts, University of Kansas, who found the university's clinical and child psychology program. Why did that influence you so much, Joe? He changed my life. He, he took me under his wing. He mentored me. He helped me reach further than I ever thought I could. And he brought those things within my grasp. And we worked together on research and new therapeutic modalities. And he opened doors and helped me realize there's so much more you can do, and here's how you can do it. And that interaction between a faculty member and a student, I think is the marrow of what separates universities and their capacity to really change lives, change destinations. And we're in the transformation business at Seton Hall University. That's what and we you know, do. I'm sorry, doctor, uh, but along those lines, uh, the new basketball, men's basketball coach, Shaheen Holloway, uh, a graduate of Seton Hall University, a former assistant coach. Those of us who are Seton Hall University basketball fans, we, we've seen him play, seen him coach, and it's exciting in a lot of levels. But he's a leader. He's a mentor. He's also, if I'm not mistaken, contributing a percentage of his own salary to support certain initiatives at Seton Hall University as well. Translation, or let me translate in this way, or ask in this way, what impact does someone like Shaheen Holloway coming back to Seton Hall have, not just on basketball, but on the spirit, the culture, and, and the university, um, and its students. He's the demonstration of a Seton Hall alum, again, that goes out and accomplishes great things and comes back to give back to the university. And he's doing it in a very unique way, as you well noted. What do you believe the real impact is from an academic point of view in terms of college sports and, and being successful in college sports, what is the real benefit 
to students who are not involved in, um, in athletics at that level. So we see college as a transformational experience. There's a handful of decisions you make in life that change your destiny. Choosing a college is one of them. The vibrancy of the college experience, how you meet friends, how you feel passionate about what you do each day is in part driven by extracurricular out of classroom experiences. And when your basketball team or your athletic teams are competing on the national stage or competing at the Prudential Center against a rival, it's a time when 20,000 people come together to celebrate being part of a community and being forward leaning and thinking about this university on a national stage. So it's not abstract, it's concrete. This is where best friends are made for life. This is where you meet a professor that changes your destination like Michael Roberts did for me. Um, but I'm also excited about what our coaches do and we'll use Shaheen Holloway as an example to mentor students to succeed certainly on the court, but they're right. succeeding in the classroom and in the community. We call it the three C's, classroom, court, and community. That sort of leadership is something we think also changes the lives of student athletes. I often disclose certain relationships. I've been a visiting fellow at the Bucino Leadership Institute for several years now, and, and it's been an honor and a pleasure of mine to, to meet with those students, to teach, and to learn from them. And uh, Dr. Nair has also joined us many times on our sister program, Lessons in Leadership. So uh, to Dr. Joseph Nair at President Seton Hall University, one of our higher ed partners and all the folks at Seton Hall, we wish you all the best. Thank you, Dr. Nair, appreciate it. Steve, great to see you. Thank you for all you do. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Dr. Nair from Seton Hall. See you next time. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Veolia, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Terrell Fund, supporting Reimagine Child Care, PNC, Grow Up Great, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, the Russell Berry Foundation, Prudential Financial, and by NJ Best, promotional support provided by Insider NJ, and by NJ.com. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world.